Hi, I'm Yusuf Hassan, and you're listening to Africa Aware, a podcast from the Chatham House Africa program. Welcome back to Africa Aware. It's great to have you listening, and welcome to the first part of Hashtag Nigeria Decides, a special miniseries focused on upcoming elections in Nigeria. Ahead of the presidential elections due to take place on the 25th of February, as well as governorship and other sub-national elections on the 11th of March, Nigeria stands at a critical juncture, having suffered from two recessions in the past six years, unprecedented levels of physical and food insecurity, persistent food scarcity, and high levels of crude oil theft. Civic fatigue also remains a critical challenge. For this episode, I am honoured to be joined by two experts, Dr. Nena Afianyi Ojufu, and Dr. Lena Coney Hoffman, who shared key insights on these elections, including the inclusivity and on how the implementation of technology has changed the electoral process. We hope you enjoy listening. Dr. Nena is an associate professor of law and the head of law at Buckinghamshire New University. She also serves as the vice chairperson of the African Union Cybersecurity Experts Group and was recently appointed a Technology and Human Rights Fellow at the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at Harvard University in the United States. Dr. Lena Coney Hoffman is an Associate Fellow of the Africa Programme and Lead Researcher for the Social Norms and Accountable Governance Project at Chatham House. She is a sociologist with over 20 years' experience in developing and contributing towards research and policy analysis on a variety of issues, with extensive advisory and consultative experience with organizations such as the OECD, USAID, World Bank, United Nations, SOS Sahel, the MacArthur Foundation, and the United Kingdom's FCDO. Thank you so much, Dr. Nena and Dr. Lena, for joining us here on the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Welcome to Africa Aware. Hi, Yusuf. Thank you for having uh, me on the podcast. And it's nice to be joined by Dr. Nena. And thank you so much, Yusuf, for asking me to join this podcast. And it's a pleasure to be joined by Dr. Lena as well. Thank you. And of course, following this introductory segment, we'll be discussing election technology and its use with the head of INEC, Professor Yakubu. But to provide our listeners who don't have a great understanding of this tech, Dr. Nena, can you give us an overview on how it functions? Thank you so much, Yusuf. And I just want to start by saying that I believe that election technology and the contentions around the use of election technology, registration of voters, verification of voters, and particularly the transmission of election results will be a defining factor for the forthcoming elections, wherein Nigerians will weigh the integrity of the election systems and the transparency of INEC. Now, I'll give a brief background and to what where we are as a country in relation to election technology and INEC. So for the 2019 general elections, the contention around um, the results was in relation to election technology um, with the Nigeria Supreme Court ruling. An important contention of the opposition party during the challenge of the election was based on the consideration of the issue of transmitting results electronically or through servers. And INEC argued at that time that they conducted the 2019 presidential election in compliance with the Electoral Act, which only provided for manual transmission of results at that time. And according to INEC, the Electoral Act 2010 prohibited the transmission of results electronically. Now, a great thing is that last year, in February 2022, the president of Nigeria signed the Electoral Act Amendment Bill into law. And if you see sections 9, 
47, 50, 62 of the Electoral Act um, 2022, it has given Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission some legal backing for technological upgrades and now allows INEC to use election technology as they deem best so they can use any voter accreditation technology better than how it was used in the last election. They can also transmit election results electronically or otherwise. The commission now also reserves the right to maintain a centralized electronic register of elections for e-collation. So to be very clear, the new act now allows the commission to keep the register of voters at its national headquarters and other locations provided that the register shall be kept in an electronic format in its central database, in addition to being kept in manual or hard copy format. Now, under the former act, the register was kept in manual or hard copy format only, so which means there's going to be a huge difference in these elections. Under the new act as well, the use of electronic devices, such as smart card readers, electronic voting machines, and other technological devices is allowed in the accreditation process for voters and in the general conduct of the elections. Also, the act now provides for electronic transmission of election results in accordance with the procedure that will be determined by the commission. So giving huge powers to the commission in relation to election technology. And as we know, Nigeria is using the BIVA system, which is what they've called the biometric and um, biomodal voter accreditation system. So it will be impressive to see how the election will go. And with Nigeria being the most populous nation in Africa, will set a huge example for many. I'll have to agree with Dr. Nena. The use of election technology in the upcoming election in Nigeria is going to be quite a defining feature of this election and potentially future elections in Nigeria, the scale at which this technology is being deployed in Nigeria, as uh, Dr. Nena has outlined, is quite an upgrade from what we have seen in the last election, where it was only the smart card readers. Um, The uh, bimodial voter accreditation system seems to be, and I think a lot of people agree, quite a game changer for the upcoming election. So if you are thinking about the size of Nigeria's voter register with 93.5 million voters, this is an overwhelming number, greater than any number in the whole of West Africa, Africa for sure, the whole of West Africa. This is a huge election to be able to execute on the day with the scale of technology that's being deployed with the number of ad hoc staff that INEC need. I understand that um, INEC is going to be engaging 1.4 million ad hoc staff, and we're talking about millions and millions of election material. This particular election is going to be one to watch for sure. You say that about every election, every election is important, but all of the different elements, particularly the role of technology in this election, for a lot of the bugs in previous elections that have been an issue. And by bugs here, I mean election malpractice, all kinds of vote rigging problems um, that have challenged and undermined the integrity of elections in the past in Nigeria. So the role of technology in this election will be a very significant one for increasing the trust that Nigerians have in the electoral system, which is at an all-time low. 
Afrobarometer released some survey data in, I think, the last 24 hours, which showed that one in four um, Nigerians trusted the electoral body. So, of course, the INEC has a lot of ways to go with reassuring Nigerians that it is fully independent and it's fully capable of delivering a credible and a free and a fair and a transparent election for the biggest democracy in Africa. And to follow up on that fantastic overview, Dr. Nena, vote rigging and, you know, vote security in such a hotly contested election will, of course, be a main topic. And this isn't something we just see in Africa. It's something that we saw in the United States and in various other countries following and before their elections. Dr. Nana, can people be confident in the security around the use of this electoral technology? Absolutely, Yusuf. Just to emphasize on on the point you've made, the question you've raised, you see, automating or digitalizing election process is not enough. And that is the issue with Africa. And Lena has talked about trust in the systems. The question is how secure and ethical will the use of election technology be? In fact, automating elections is a problem if you cannot guarantee the security of your electoral technology system. And that is where the cybersecurity maturity level of any country comes into play. And you find that when you look at the global cybersecurity index, for example, those from Interpol, International Telecommunications Union, you find Africa still at weak maturity levels when you assess cybersecurity. So election technology is so important that it is now considered critical national infrastructure under so many cybersecurity or cybercrime legislation in many more technologically advanced countries. And Yusuf, you've mentioned the US, for example, and we saw how the security of election technology systems played out as a defining factor in the US, um, last US elections. Also, last year, ahead of the August 2022 elections, in January 2022, Kenya became the first African country to designate elections as critical national infrastructure. Um, When we talk about critical national infrastructure, you know, it's a term that is used by governments to refer to physical, non-physical cyber resources that are essential for maintaining government operations and the minimum functioning of society and its economy. So Kenya is under their Cybersecurity Cybercrime Act, emphasizing the linkages between cybersecurity and election technology. I, as a Nigerian, I'm a bit worried about um, the security of election system, election technology, because there were some comments a few days back from INEC about the data they had alleged just um, on the 1st of February that there were foreigners attempting to hack into INEC's database last week or two weeks ago as well. INEC was also alleging that, you know, someone or some people or some cyber criminals um, were also trying to hack into the BVAS system or um, clone the BVAS, the Biomodal Voter Accreditation System. So it's important that cybersecurity is kept at the helm of deciding how election technology is going to be applied. And that is not just for the election period, even before the election period in terms of pre-assessment, it's important that African countries consider election technology as critical national infrastructure. Now, Ghana's approach 
approach to employment of election technology is quite impressive. And it is no surprise at all because Ghana has set a pace for cybersecurity in Africa alongside Mauritius. We saw the way um, Ghana used the automated fingerprint identification system to act as a digital register to eliminate double voting. We also see Ghana's coordinated approach in terms of their computer emergency response team. And Ghana is a good example of adopting a multi-stakeholder approach to cybersecurity. Again, um, Nigeria is a Commonwealth country and the Commonwealth has provided a Commonwealth guide on best practice for cybersecurity elections. And I think INEC should also refer to that guide on best practices to inform themselves on how to go about the systems. Kenya as well took a lot of approaches, um, strategies to ensure security alongside the last elections. They partnered with the right authorities, the communications authority, to ensure security of the digital results transmission systems. So in terms of, you know, we could say we are confident based on what INEC is saying, but I think the question is how cyber secure is the election technology system? What is the level of our cyber security maturity level? And there are various acts that will be undertaken by INEC to ensure that that confidence is there in terms of the elections that will be forthcoming. And there are so many things um, like it would be good to talk about that Nigeria can also do to ensure that the cybersecurity level in terms of the election technology can be said to be credible and transparent. And just to, to add, uh, that's really, really an interesting arc across the region and across the continent on the points that you make about credibility and trust in the cybersecurity level. The recent overturning of the election in Oshun State has been a concerning one, as Dr. Inena, I'm sure you're you're aware of, Oshun State in the southwest of Nigeria was one of the states that the BIVAS um, was deployed for the state-level election. But then last week, the election was overturned and was handed over to the other, another candidate was declared as the winner. So there's been a lot of conversation as to what the overturning of that election is an indication of as we look to the deployment of BIVAS across the country for the presidential election and the 28 other governorship elections that will be taking place over the next uh, couple of days. There are real questions to be asked as to why there was the issue of overvoting, which is one of the reasons why the election was overturned, how it is possible that with the BIVAS that was used to accredit voters, there was still the issue of overvoting, which is a problem, a perennial problem we've had in elections in the past. So um, there are real questions to be asked and real worries that Nigerians and observers of the Nigerian elections will still have looking at how things played out in Oshun State as we look to a larger scale deployment of technology? Will it resolve the role of the judiciary in deciding elections? If things have to go to the court, it is a very worrying scale of things to think about the number of local and state, and even at the presidential level, where that scrutiny of the transmission process is applied, to what extent Nigerians will feel that um, technology has improved the electoral system. So those, those questions remain, even with all the 
benefits of technology to elections. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Lina and Dr. Nenna, for providing us your insights there on the realities of what electoral technology and the securitization of this process means for the election. The reason why it's such a big discussion is because this election is really about the future of Nigeria, and it's decided by whoever wins this election, many would say. So it'd be great to have your perspective, Dr. Lina, on what the politics of this election are and what the results really mean for the country. The upcoming elections are important because Nigeria stands at a democratic and a demographic fork in the road. In terms of the demographic fork in the road or the junction that Nigeria finds itself in, in the last couple of years, we have seen a closing of Nigeria's civic space. Um, We have seen a lot of unresolved discontent particularly amongst young Nigerians, with the direction of Nigeria's economy, a number of the fiscal and macroeconomic decisions that have been taken by the current administration have left more Nigerians poorer and stuck in a way we haven't seen in Nigeria for a very, very long time. Um, Nigerians are experiencing double-digit inflation. Food inflation as well, in particular, has been a record high. There have been chronic fuel shortages in a cyclical kind of way, and they have persisted with long queues at filling stations. The Central Bank of Nigeria put in place what feels like a poorly timed currency uh, replacement or exchange. So there is a shortage of the Nigerian Naira, and this is an impossibly painful uh, situation for daily earners in Nigeria, um, for the informal economy in Nigeria, for poor low-income earners in Nigeria. So this is a particularly biting time. And Nigeria's population being mostly young, 70% being under the age of 30 and the levels of unemployment, youth and unemployment, at 42%. You can see how a number of these challenges are coming to a head at this time of this particular election. So the upcoming election is very, very important for defining the direction of Nigeria's economy, um, restoring investor confidence, restoring the hopefulness or sense of hopefulness of um, Nigeria's citizens and as well Nigeria's diaspora. So a lot is riding on the next election. And I think increasingly the attention of the world, Nigeria's partners across the continent and beyond are paying increasingly more attention to this upcoming election. Of course, the president, the incumbent president, has completed two terms in office. So it remains to be seen if um, Nigerians would vote for the governing party and vote for the manifesto or the party platform as it stands. So in terms of how it's defining for Nigeria's democracy, It's to see, you know, what direction Nigerians would choose for their democratic journey 
to go if the election will be about consequences for the management of Nigeria's institutions and its resources. So it's I'm thinking about how consequential the election will be in terms of to what degree we're going to see political consequences for government action and decisions that have brought Nigeria and Nigerians to the current economic status that the country is in and its citizens find themselves. I absolutely agree with Dr. Lina and um, particularly the way she has laid out the foundational issues for free, transparent and credible elections for Nigeria. And importantly, for talking about political consequences and how expectations would be. You know, it is great that so much of expectations are usually placed on countries, especially for Africa. And I'll just take it back to, you know, election technology again, um, where we started from election is a capital intensive exercise and you find that developing countries suffer immensely for limited digital capacity. And sometimes I tend to say that that's where we need to put consideration in terms of the expectations we put on African countries who are trying to measure up and leapfrog into approaches to elections in, you know, developed countries. And um, just to add to the point about what are the foundational issues for the election, you know, I think there will be so much to watch in terms of election technology because of the new electoral act, which has given some sort of broad powers to INEC in terms of use of election technology. And so for the forthcoming general elections, technology will be core and it must be addressed based on the potential degree of mistrust it may generate, just as Nina has talked about. And public confidence is important. Perception is critical. And um, this is very relevant. And I think at this point going forward, INEC has emphasized so much on the use of election technology, but little is being said about the security thereof. And INEC needs to think about this from registration, collation, transmission, even to announcement. There is also so much focus on, you know, technology being used to rig the election, but hardly any conversation about how technology may also be used to disenfranchise and suppress voting. Another challenge I would want to highlight in terms of, you know, expectations, just like Dr. Lina talked about for the election, would be in terms of the knowledge gap in understanding of election technology. And this also relates to the judiciary. I talked about the 2019 election and how, you know, the Supreme Court interpreted the concerns about the use of electronic transmission and servers. And, you know, this sort of approach to bridging the knowledge gap of the judiciary will rest on the acknowledgement of the disputes that may arise as a result of the use of technology in the forthcoming election. There would actually be contentions from the Electoral Act in terms of election technology. There are also questions about how the court may address open source evidence. There are also concerns about the police and the ability to use digital technologies at election venues, especially for reasons of gathering evidence. INEC must also undertake education and training for party agents and ensure that political parties understand the election transmission system and that they are capable of understanding the verification process. INEC must also invite stakeholders to familiarize themselves with the election transmission system. And there must be adequate electoral information online when we talk about expectations to allow citizens verify sources of information. So much is not being said um, about misinformation, um, disinformation, and it's a huge worry in terms of the level of hate speech 
online misinformation and disinformation happening. We're also seeing a great degree of cyber harassment with quite heavy ethnic and religious undertone. I know Meta is working with independent fact-checking organizations in Nigeria to help reduce the spread of misinformation, fake news, and also detect and remove hate speech um, on Facebook, Instagram, and also on WhatsApp. I just wanted to also add that it is important for INEC, in as much as they discuss the BVAS election technology, to undertake regular cybersecurity threat assessments and work with you know, the right authorities to ensure federal protections are being put in place to ensure streamlined access to classified election threat information sharing, and also undertake coordinated approaches against manipulation of results that are going to be transmitted, as well as how the systems may be exposed to cyber vulnerabilities. There are also concerns about how the beavers will work in polling stations. I think INEC has to be clear to the public. I also don't know if there has been data protection impact assessment because so much data has been collected with the PVC. By now, INEC must have undertaken data protection impact assessment with the Nigerian Data Protection Bureau and duly informed them as to what measures have been put in place for data protection regarding the employment of election technology. And the last point I wanted to touch upon, which may be a bit controversial, is that there are also concerns that there may be internet-related shutdowns or internet shutdowns during the election, like some African countries do. This was never a concern with Nigeria, but considering the um, Twitter ban two years ago, Nigerians, especially the young population, are quite concerned about what this may mean um, for the elections in terms of internet shutdown. So just to add to what Dr. Lina has said about expectations, we are all watching INEC, but most importantly, watching the incumbent government in terms of what they want to do to ensure credibility of elections and the defining factors for this election in terms of Nigeria living up to examples or expectations rather in terms of their place in Africa. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Nana. Very eloquent and clear in relation to the various issues facing the electorate and the election itself on a wider level outside of technology. To come to an end, Dr. Lina, you've just published an incredible piece in the world today available on the Chatham House website in relation to, regardless of who wins the Nigerian elections, a crisis of inclusion faces the president and faces the country. What do you mean by this? My reflections in this piece were focused on how, in many ways, and I try to outline that in the piece, how Nigeria's politics has almost consistently overlooked, excluded and disempowered different groups of people. Of course, in the piece, I focused on young people in particular, that despite, you know, the demographic heft of um, Nigeria's young people, the dynamism and the hopefulness and capabilities of Nigeria's youth population, the Nigerian, Nigeria's politics has not resulted in the kind of developmental environment for um, Nigeria's young people to thrive. Of course, you can think about exclusion in the context of um, women's participation in politics in Nigeria. I was only able to reflect on that in a small part in the piece. Um, Fewer and fewer women are entering uh, public office and public life in Nigeria. That should be concerning, but because of the so many issues that are already on the table for Nigeria, 
and for Nigerians, the issue of women in politics doesn't seem to rise to the top as it should, given the fact that this is, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand the economic impact and the societal impact and all of the ramifications of the lower participation of women and the exclusion of women from leadership in Nigeria. Um, We've seen the numbers of uh, women in political office or appointive office in Nigeria go down year on year or election cycle after cycle. Um, In the last election in 2019, only 4.2% of elected officials were women in Nigeria. We have seen, you know, the proportion of women in elected office rise across the country. There are a lot of examples um, where we have seen presidents or governments uh, constitute gender-balanced cabinets, um, but we've not seen that kind of affirmative action drive in Nigeria. And this, the same can be said for the inclusion of minorities in governance in Nigeria. And of course, you know, the bulk of Nigeria's population being so young, that isn't reflected in political office enough. And that has fueled a lot of disillusionment towards democratic processes um, in Nigeria. So that was one of the points I was making in the piece and highlighting the fact that um, the level of dissatisfaction that Nigerians have with their democracy, an Afrobarometer survey, a recent one, showed that 77% of Nigerians were dissatisfied with their democracy, and 89%, the number as high as 89%, believed that the country was heading in the wrong direction. So that gives you a bit of context for the low voter turnout that we saw in 2019, one of the lowest in Africa, the lowest in Africa, of 35% in the presidential election. So the meteor point that I was trying to make was how uh, political ex- exclusion fuels this kind of disillusionment and disengagement from democratic processes that should you know, bring about the dividends of democracy or shaping uh, governance systems that reflect the interests and the needs of people and are responsive to them. So there are lots of issues like this that I believe will be on the minds of voters. Of course, socioeconomic realities will be front and center. Um, but I wanted to highlight and try and make a connection between these socioeconomic realities with political exclusion writ large. Thank you so much, Dr. Lena and Dr. Nana, for your incredible insights on the election and what we're likely to see over the coming weeks. All we hope is really a safe and prosperous Nigeria emerging from this important democratic moment. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to welcoming you on the podcast again. Thanks, Yusuf. Bye, Yusuf. And that brings us to an end of this episode of Africa Aware. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please do subscribe to us on the platform you're listening to us on to ensure you don't miss an episode. And do leave a review as that will allow others to find this podcast easier. Thanks for listening to Africa Aware. I've been your host Yusuf Hassan. Goodbye.